our Bibles to Romans chapter 8 as we continue our study through the book of Romans. And so we are in Romans 8, uh, verses 18 uh, through 25. I'll read, then we'll pray. For Paul writes, uh, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that is a better hope. And because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. For we are, for we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees or what he has in his hand? But we hope for what we do not see. And we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And with that, let's pray. Lord we, Lord, we thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And Lord, you, you give us that, that longing, Lord, that desire, Lord, for a much better, a heavenly hope. And Lord, I thank you for those that are here this morning. And Father, as we consider, Lord, these truths in Romans chapter 8, Lord, what a great chapter it's been. And we pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, uh, speak to us, Lord, not only in a corporate sense, but also, Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit, Lord, so cares for us in a personal kind of way. Lord, uh, you speak into our lives individually, and uh, we pray, Lord, that you would just grant faith this morning. If there's any doubt, Lord, any, any fears, anything that may be obstructing, Lord, uh, what we need to hear, what we need to draw, Lord, out of these truths. Uh, I pray that you remove that. And I thank you, Lord. Thank you for your marvelous grace. We thank you for your favor. And Father, uh, as we, we do move into the, the period of spring, we thank you that you're the God of new beginnings. Lord, you're the God who brings change, transformation. Lord, uh, your work is so incredibly awesome and glorious. So, Father, I pray for each and every one of us here this morning. Uh, give us ears to hear, and Lord, uh, Lord, bless your word to us, we pray in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Uh, we entitled uh, this little piece here, blessed, or, uh, Present Pain, But Future Glory. And uh, when we think about some, some of the things that we have to endure you know, in this life, I think sometimes we can get kind of focused on that, and it's important that we don't. Uh, because those things uh, can so fixate us that we forget about the life that we have in Christ and we forget about the future. Uh, we, you know, we've been talking a lot since we've been in the book of Revelations, before the Revelation, rather, before the book of uh, Romans here. We're talking a lot about heaven, talking a lot about glory and the future. And I think that's the right perspective that the Holy Spirit really wants to give us because I think sometimes we get so focused on this life, um, on surviving, 
on getting ahead and managing our life and, and hopeful of this, that, or the other thing. But the hope here that uh, Paul is, is referring us to, it's a heavenly hope. It's a blessed hope. Because remember, this life is but a vapor, Jesus said. It's over so very quickly. I don't know how old you are, but it is amazing as you look back at your life and you say, where did my life go? Uh, my birthday's in a few days. And uh, I just can't believe I'm 69 years old. I can't. I don't want to believe it, but it's true. <laughs> I have to accept the fact that I'm one year away from 70, and that scares me. I was talking to somebody earlier um, when, uh, uh, during the break uh, between services, and we were talking about that very thing and, and how sometimes, like, when you get to certain numbers, and, and it happens to everybody, like, when you're a young person, you get to number 30. And I remember when I was in the Marine Corps, and we were all 19 years old and 20 year old, and the captain of the company was 30 years old. We called him the old man, okay? And then when you get to the number 40, okay, you're over the hill, right? And then you hit that number 5 0. That's, that's, that's a scary number. But you know, right now, 5 0 looks pretty good. And, uh, but, um, you know, the, the fact is, you know, our lives, these, the life down here, it transpires so quickly. And, but this life is a primer. This life is just a primer for eternity, and we have to remember that. I think a lot of times we lose perspective. We, we try to find our fulfillment. We try to find all of our satisfaction, you know, in this life. But the fact of the matter is God has created us um, with an eternal purpose in mind. And Paul is simply reminding us of that very here in light of the sufferings, in light of the challenges and the difficulties and the things that you and I go through. And I don't know about you, but I think most of us work very hard at avoiding suffering. Um, you know, who wants suffering, right? Uh, it's kind of sick, you know, if you, uh, if you like pain and suffering, that, that, that kind of thing. But uh, we're, we work very hard at avoiding it, but yet we discover, we discover something wonderful in Christ that he has a way of turning the ashes sometimes of our lives, the messes of our lives. He has a way of just turning him into something beautiful. You know, God is so incredibly awesome, you know, that when we give to him sometimes, you know, the, the, the mess of things, that, that he can bring blessing out of that. Uh, he can bring encouragement. He can bring new hope and all those kinds of things. And again, he can redeem, I think, the very worst of any kind of situation. And, there, and again, the word redeem is to buy it back, you know, to buy it back. It was always referred to slavery when you look at it in the Bible. Um, and, and he buys us back out of things that would, would enslave us. And again, when God is at work in our lives, he always brings us what into freedom. He always brings us into a place of blessing. You know, Paul speaks about aff afflictions in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. And he reminds us there. That it's but a temporary thing. It's a momentary. He calls it, he, he, as a matter of fact, he calls it our momentary, our light affliction, which is but really for a moment. But he says this, which is very important. It's working for us. In other words, the trials, the things that you and I endure that we go through, that God has a wonderful way of redeeming them and working them to the good. Uh, we're going to see that later. Uh, we, didn't get to, we didn't get here to quite to, to verse 28, uh, which is one we quote all the time. But again, when God is in the equation of our lives, he has a wonderful way of redeeming things, changing things, restoring things. Um, and so, yes, our, we may have an affliction. And Paul says, in the, again, in the light of eternity, it's a light affliction. It's a light affliction, but it's working for us some eternal purpose. You know, this morning uh, I was going through my email, and this mail came into my box. And, uh, and it's, it was a daily devotional, and it was entitled this, Chosen for Affliction. You know, when I read that, I said, I don't think I want to open that, okay? 
And uh, that was just kind of my, my reaction. And then a little bit later as I'm thinking, I'm thinking, wow, I'm kind of speaking on that today. I guess I'd better open that. And, uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a um, devotional by C.H. Spurgeon. And he says this. He says, comfort yourself, tried believer. Comfort yourself with this thought. For God says, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Does not the word come like a soft shower, assuaging the fury of the flame? Yea, it is not a protective, is it not a protective shield against which the heat has no power? Let affliction come. God has chosen me. Poverty, you may stride at my door, but God is in the house already. He has chosen me. Sickness, you may intrude, but I will, but I have the balsam ready. God has chosen me. Whatever befalls me, uh, in this veil of tears, this veil of tears, rather, uh, I have chosen. I, I know that He has chosen me, and we can believe that too. That no matter what it is, you know, the beautiful thing you find out about the Bible relative to things that we have, we go through. He says, "I'll be with you. I'll be with you." Though you know, though the you know, you go through the furnace of affliction, I'll be with you. Though you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you because I will with I will be with you. And again, isn't that the great promise that we find? You know, in uh, basically the prophecy about Jesus when he comes, Emmanuel, what? With us. That God is with us. Even though sometimes we can't feel it, we can't see him. But the fact of the matter is that he is working always for our benefit. He's always working for our blessing. And particularly, you know, we have to remember, as we've been talking about here, this whole matter of faith. It's not according to feelings, is it? It's according to faith. It's according to basically, you know, just trusting him. Because a lot of times we feel, sometimes you can feel like you're abandoned. But, but the fact is, he says, I'll, as you trust him, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God is so incredibly faithful. Stephen Hawking, uh, well-known um, uh, uh, astrophysicist, uh, actually about a year ago this March when he uh, passed away. But a lot of people don't realize um, that uh, when he was diagnosed with ALS back in 1974, they gave him about two to three years to live. Uh, we know how, how uh, awful that condition is. Uh, many of you remember uh, Joe Vinci was with us. He, had it, he, he, he contracted it, and then within two years um, that uh, he, he went to be with the Lord. But he lived 44, uh, Hawking lived 44 more years. Uh, and I have an interesting biographical sketch, something that he said, uh, that was so incredible um, because when you think about somebody that has to suffer with a, uh, an incredible condition like that, uh, and we, we all know what it is when all of a sudden you're struck with uh, some kind of condition. Um, it's easy to get very bitter and very angry about situations. But listen to what uh, James Dobson um, has this little um, biographical sketch here uh, about Hawking. Uh, Stephen Hawking is a great astrophysicist at Cambridge University and perhaps the most intelligent man on earth. Uh, he has advanced the general theory of relativity further than any person since Albert Einstein. Unfortunately, Hawking is afflicted with ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, it will eventually take his life, and he has been confined to a wheelchair for years uh, where he can do little, uh, but little more than sit and, and think. Hawking has lost the ability to speak now it communicates by, a, by, a, by means of a computer that is operated from the tiniest movement of his fingertips. And here's a quote from Omni Magazine. Quote, he is too weak to, feed, to write or feed himself or comb his hair or even fix his glasses. All, must, all this must be done for him. 
Yet this most dependent of all men has escaped invalid status. His personality shines through the messy details of his existence, end quote. The article goes on. Hawking said that before he became ill, he had, a ver- he had very little interest in life. He called it a pointless existence, resulting from sheer boredom. He drank too much. He did, he did very little work. And then he learned he had ALS syndrome and was not expected to live more than two years. The ultimate effect of that diagnosis, beyond its initial shock, was extremely positive. He claimed to have, the, have been, he, excuse me, he claimed to have been happier after he was afflicted than before. How can that be understood? Hawking provides the answer. Quote, when one's expectations are reduced to zero, he said, one really appreciates everything that one does have. And stated another way, contentment in life is determined in part by what a person anticipates from it. And to a man like Hawking, who thought he would soon die quickly, everything took on a different meaning. A sunrise, a walk in the park, the laughter of children. Suddenly, each small pleasure became precious. By contrast, those who live, or excuse me, by contrast, those who believe life owes them a free ride are often discontent with the finest of gifts. And how true that is, isn't it? And we know that oftentimes when we're sick. When, when it's like when we get when we're sick, all of a sudden we have a new appreciation for our health. Uh, when we were healthy, we didn't appreciate it that much. And it's an interesting thing how God just uses trials and difficulties and all these things in life uh, to give us a deeper appreciation for the things that are spiritual, the things that really have a higher purpose and a higher meaning and really bring us uh, to the Lord. Now, looking at verse 18 relative to this whole problem of pain uh, and this issue, issue of suffering, because the thing is, often this can define somebody's life. We, do you know anybody like that, that uh, their, their circumstance or situation has been a life-defining kind of a circumstance and situation? But it doesn't have to be for the child of God. It doesn't have to be for you and I. We don't have to let the negative circumstances of our life uh, you know, be the very defining thing that can consume us. Um, we all know people that have had, uh, uh, you know, just b- a bad history, um, a dysfunctional life, a dysfunctional family. Uh, maybe they've been the result of uh, a divorced, you know, divorced family, a family that always fought, a family that, you know, whether it was alcoholic or drug-related, these kind of things, they have a tremendous impact and effect on children. Um, like I said one time that uh, my, my parents, uh, I had known Christ. Um, after 25 years, they got divorced. It just, you know, it just impacted me. It, it just didn't feel, you know, right, even though I knew they didn't know the Lord. I knew they were never happy uh, with one another. But yet it, those kind of things can have an impact and effect on us. And, and so there's kind, of, there's, there's kind of things in our lives that can be life-defining but they need not be for you and I. They need not be for the child of God. You see, basically, our future is beyond our greatest expectations. There was a book many years ago. I forget the author's first name, but his last name was Bill Heimer. Uh, and the title of the book was Don't Waste Your Sorrows. And I think there's a lot of times that when we're looking at the past or living in the past or stuck in the past, we're just basically wasting our sorrows. You know, God has given us a blessed present and a glorious future. 
And I think sometimes we get fixed and focus, you know, sort of fixated and focused upon those kind of things because we believe that life should be better. But one of the things that Paul is telling us here um, in, in, our, in our, this, the context here of Romans chapter 8 is that there's a futility in life. There's a certain futility in life no matter what you do. And we do a lot of things to try to find fulfillment and satisfaction. But remember this, our satisfaction is ultimately in Christ and Christ alone. Uh, now, there are other things that can be a blessing to our lives, but when we're only focused on them and God is out of the equation, we really don't have, we really can't find satisfaction in it. We can't find fulfillment. There, there's, there's always something missing when God is missing from the equation of someone's heart and someone's life. We used to talk about it um, many years ago about that heart-shaped hole, and only, only Christ can fill it. Only God can fill that. And uh, we can try to fill it with money. We can try to fill it with you know, great experiences in life, great relationships and all this sort of thing. But we're going to know at the end of the day, there's still something that's missing. There's still something missing in life. And I think a lot of times we, we go on this, uh, this quest, if you will, this search through life looking for fulfillment. We're looking for satisfaction. And sometimes, you know, we, you know we, we get a good job and we enjoy that. But then after we're in that for a while, we realize, well, this really isn't it. Uh, and even, even marriage itself, that God has designed and has a purpose and it has a certain degree of fulfillment, it isn't an end in itself. When we leave God out of the marriage, we, we see the, you know, how problematic it is. We see what, we, what we're watching is the, the meltdown of our culture and our society. And uh, remember the very first institution that God um, developed you know, after creation of, of, of man and woman was marriage, was family. And, um, but when, when that begins and we see that that's one of the problems that we're looking at in our culture and our society, it's because we left God out of the equation. But he says this, uh, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Now, I think it's fair to say, when you look at particularly this next verse here, verse 19, that oftentimes the expectations that many people have, uh, are mis uh, they're misguided and they're basically unrealistic. And what that can do sometimes is when our hopes and our aspirations, our expectations, uh, are misguided and they're basically uh, focused on the wrong thing, it feeds a sense of hopelessness. That's why sometimes when people arrive at a certain place in life, they thought, well, gee, I was striving all my life to get to this particular place, and now that I'm finally here, it's simply not what it's cracked up to be. Um, and so there's a sense maybe of uh, desperation there or, or hopelessness. Isn't it amazing that in our wealth, in our affluence of this Western world and all that American culture can provide for people, that we have more hopelessness that we see represented and expressed in suicide in our world today. It's tragic. It, 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 it's sad when you look at, uh, and again, it, but also too, it, it's, it's the message is, uh, is that with all this material, with all the success, with all the affluence, with all the money, with all these things, there's still something missing, you know, in the equation of it all. And that's when, we, again, uh, life can be a blessing. Uh, but only when Christ, you know, is in the middle, in, in, the, in the context, you know, of our lives. Now, he says here, for the earnest, verse 19, the earnest expectation. Again, remember, expectation is hope. And we all have expectations. But what I think we have to ask ourselves, are those expectations accurate? Are, are they realistic? Um, are they are they 
our, our hope, is our hope on just something that's earthly? You know, something that's just, you know, uh, external, physical? Um, we need to have a greater hope. And when, again, Paul speaks about uh, hope here in the Bible, uh, particularly in Romans chapter 8, and he's been speaking about hope. Remember chapter 5, verse 5, that, that he says, he says something very interesting. He says, hope, and again, it's not just any hope, but it's, but it's a better hope. It's a hope, it's a spiritual hope. It's a hope in him. He says, hope does not disappoint. Uh, and he says, uh, because the love of God is shed abroad or poured out into our hearts and into our lives. In other words, when we have a hope and our aspirations, our expectations are of the Lord, that he pours into our heart to encourage that hope, to feed that hope. Remember David said in one of the Psalms, he said, my expectation is of the Lord. And any of us at any given, you know, at some time in our life, you're going you're, you're to be greatly discouraged if your hope is in people. If your hope is in people, and it, you know, if you've been around any length of time, you know what I'm talking about. Because why? People will let you down. People will let you down. And sometimes, and sometimes we put expectations, great expectations, uh, you know, onto people that they can never measure up to that. Uh, and sometimes it's hypocrisy to put these great expectations, you know, on people uh, because they are going to let you down. And the Lord will even allow that. He'll allow that because he wants you to trust him. He wants, he wants to be the object, not only of our faith, but he wants to be the object of our hope. You know, as we realize God is the one that we've committed ourselves to. You know, God is at work. God wants to guide and direct our life. God wants to be involved. When you think about it and all the different decisions, all the different aspects of our lives. And that's one of the things that just encourages, really encourages and blesses me. To realize that God wants to be involved in the minutia. That he cares about the little things, you know, of my life. You know, I know he cares about the big things, but the little things. Uh, I love that when I, see, when I see the Lord's fingerprints, you know, involved in those kinds of things. But what he says here, verse 19, the earnest expectation of the creation. Now, what he's talking about here, he's talking about the created world and nature, what we would call around us, um, waits, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So it's interesting, too, that even creation itself gets it right. We're talking about animate creation, inanimate creation, nature itself. But what exactly are they waiting for? Well, he tells us right there in the text. Creation itself is waiting for the divine intervention on a wide, worldwide scale. Nature, creation, the animal creation. What we see basically presently, uh, because of the fall, because of sin, it's impacted. And there is a longing that God has placed even within his creation, a yearning, if you will. A yearning, if you will, for something better. Do you ever find yourself groaning? Paul talks about that here. And just sometimes you, you hear bad news, like, oh, you know, another suicide, another murder, another horrific situation taking place. There's a yearning there. there there's a desire there even in that groan for something better. It's, a, it's as if we're crying out for God's intervention. It's as, as if we're crying out for, you know, a, a better world, a different world. Uh, that's one of the things I think that motivates and moves us to prayer, isn't it? We're praying, we're, you know, we're praying for God's intervention. That's what prayer is all about. Lord, work here. Work in this situation. Lord, help, you know, you know help, help my children. 
Um, Lord, work in this situation. Sometimes we see situations that are so desperate, so without hope, so far gone. But we know that when God comes into the equation of that, that's why we pray. We know that when God comes into the equation of that, he's the change agent. Amen? He's the one that can bring change, you know, in that situation. And the beautiful, you know, the thing I love about faith, the thing I absolutely love about faith is that God honors the faith of those who pray and ask him. And as he honors that faith, he can bless other people. I think, no, wasn't there a point in all of our lives when we weren't saved? And somebody was praying for us? And God answered their prayer? And it just seemed like, oh, it was so close, such a coincidence. Yeah, just gave my life to Jesus. It was a work of grace, a work of God. He honors faith. Remember that. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen him turn families around because one person in the family was trusting him and, and, and believing him that, that he's the God who, he's the God, he is the God of the impossible. We have to remember that because we live in a fallen world and we see a lot of impossible things going on. And we see a lot of, uh, a lot of failure but we have to remember, that's why we keep going back to the Bible, because it reminds us of who God is. And it reminds us what he can do, the great and awesome God that he is. Now, he speaks about, in verse 20 here, the futility. That the futility is just sort of uh, a part of creation. It's because of the fall. And again, nature can be incredibly harsh. You know, uh, creation without the creator is just basically empty. There's a certain kind of futility with it because life without him, you can't make sense. I think a lot of people try to make sense without him. And that's why you get all kinds of crazy concocted ideas. Evolution, that, that's, that's, you know, another explanation of the world and of, you know, uh, what we would call creation and so forth. And, um, and, and when you look at some of these philosophies, uh, when you extrapolate them out, uh, they can be they can be devastating. Uh, some of these philosophies that basically leave God out of the equation uh, when it's all basically humanistic. Um, we we've seen some of the horrible, awful things that have taken place uh, when the focus basically is on you know man and we leave God out of it. But he says here, creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. So again, without him, without him, you don't have hope. You don't have real hope. It's a very tenuous uh, kind of thing, you know, hope in this world. And that's why sometimes when hopes get dashed enough, people get cynical. They get jaded. They get angry. Uh, they, there's a darkness sometimes that comes into the heart when person's, you know, hopes have been dashed over and over again. And, um, uh, but, you know, we, we serve the God of hope. He's a God of hope. And, uh, you know, his work in our life, again, hope will not make us ashamed. You know, I was thinking about nature. You know, it, it, when you look at the creation, uh, even under the fall, some of it's so incredibly beautiful. Um, and I was thinking about, uh, a few years ago, I was up in Alaska. Um, Joe and Rachel McGee are up there serving um, uh, on Kodiak Island. And there is a natural beauty um, about Alaska. It, it's, it's incredibly mountainous. 
um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the forest, uh, the fishing, the hunting and all that. And so many people have, have moved up there because they're, you know, they're, they're looking, you know, for the great out of doors. And, and I remember um, when Margie and I left Philadelphia, we had some relatives here in, in Rochester. This was back in 74. And Rochester was a stop for us. We were just going to stop here for a brief time. Uh, I kind of found a job. And, and then before you know it, uh, the Lord uh, intervened. <laughs> uh, or let me say interrupted. It was a wonderful interruption. And he saved Margie and I. Uh, but we were heading to Colorado. Well, I was, we were going to go out there, man, and, and I was going to build some kind of cabin, you know, back in the mountains and, and uh, the Rocky Mountains there. And, man, we were going to just, you know, uh, live in nature and enjoy all that sort of thing. And uh, praise God, he saved me from that. And, uh, and, and remember back in the 1970s, was the ba remember that back in the, the Back to the Nature movement, you know, uh, was it uh, Yule Gibbons um, and uh, his... Uh, Grape nuts um, commercials, and, and it was everything was like homemade stuff, and, and like we were really we were young, and we we're really into that kind of thing. Uh, but you know, without the Lord, those things eventually become meaningless. Yeah, I could I could have ended up you know out there in the wilderness as some kind of weirdo, you know, back in the woods, you know, with you know, we 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 we've seen that kind of thing happen, haven't we? And. Uh, but I thank God, you know. Um, and, and the thing I was talking about Alaska is that, you, isn't it amazing? You have this beauty up there, and so many people that migrate up there because they like to hunt the fish. They like the great outdoors. But you know what? It's, it's, it's the one place in the, w in the country uh, has the greatest uh, degree of alcoholism and drugs. Because you know what? God's out of the equation. When, when he is out of the equation, those things are empty. See, we, we, need, we need the Lord in all of our decisions. Be careful that you don't start making decisions and leave the Lord out of it. That's craziness. You can, you can end up, you know, sometimes in the wrong place. Uh, you know, God's got a place where he wants you to be, where he's going to bless you, where he's going to encourage you, where he's going to feed you and minister to you. Um, now, looking at verse 21, again, looking, look, when we look at this world, even, even though it's a, a, a fallen world, it still bears a reflection of this glorious, liberated future that we have in Jesus Christ. That's why I've said before, be careful that you don't put all your eggs in the basket of this life. You will be discouraged. You're going to come up short. Isaiah gives us a peephole, if you will, into the glorious future of what this world is going to be like when Jesus Christ comes back he returns and he sets up his kingdom. We're over in Isaiah chapter 11. I want to read a few verses to you because chapter 11 is a, is a messianic verse. Excuse me, messianic chapter. And the first five verses all speak about Jesus Christ. But in verse 6 it says this, speaking about nature and the, the, you know, the world of creation, he says, the wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. Now we know that doesn't happen. Wolves love lambs to eat them. Not to, not to dwell with them. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and young lion and the fatling together. The little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. And their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. A nursing child shall play by a cobra's hole. And a weaned child, uh, a little bit older child, shall put his hand into a viper's den. 
Now, any parent would not let their children put their hand. A viper is a very an extremely poisonous snake. But when Christ comes and establishes his kingdom, just the, 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 the violence that's out there we see uh, in, in, the, in, in, in nature, in that world, is all going to be gone. It's all going to be tamed. Again, when the creator comes and sets up his kingdom on this earth, and he goes on to say, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. And see, in other words, it's going to even affect the creation itself, the, the inanimate creation, and also the animal creation. He affects everything. He impacts everything. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, speaking of Christ, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him. Oh, man, isn't it wonderful? The Lord's got us right in there. In that beautiful future time, he's, he's referring to and speaking to the fact that um, the Gentiles, are, they're going to be there. They shall seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. And, of course, we know, we know his resting place will be the, uh, the city of Jerusalem, the city of the great king, as the Scripture speaks about. And in verse 21, the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You know, presently, when we look at our culture and our, uh, we look at the world out there, it's basically in a state of corruption. It's, it's in a state of decay. We, we've been referring to this and talking about this, talking about the whole the, the matter of uh, entropy, the second law of thermodynamics, that we see basically the universe is like a big giant clock and it's wearing out, it's wearing down and, uh, at the, because of the fall. But he's going to create a new heavens. He's going to create a new earth that will not decay. And isn't it amazing when you think about it that your body is going to be redeemed? Your body, as you look at it now, it's in a whole different condition than what it's going to be in. I think most of us are happy about that. We don't know exactly what this new model is going to look like. But I'll tell you what, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be a glorious, wonderful thing. Uh, I've already put my order in. Uh, I want to be six foot two. I'm tired of being five foot seven. <laughs> but whatever, you know, I, whatever the Lord has, um, he's got the, the. And I think, you know, when you and I will, will be able to see our, our new body, we'll say, wow, that's just what I had in mind. That will be perfect. And to think about it, amazing that, that God will create a new functioning body that's what he had, in, that was what was intended from the beginning. That the, your body, our bodies would last throughout eternity. As a matter of fact, med the medical profession doesn't understand exactly why they decay because uh, they say they renew themselves. And we talked about that um, uh, several Sundays ago, how, um, how different parts of the body actually rejuvenate, renew themselves. Uh, but again, it's, it's, it's the fall. It's what sin has done. Um, wages of sin, sin brings death, uh, you know, over the process of time. But, the, but again, we're going to be in an environment, a world, a different world that's going to be eternal, blessed, and beautiful. And I think, you know, I think we need to think more about that. Be because, again, I think that we get so earthbound uh, with surviving and this life and, and the, the struggles of this life. This life isn't all there is. 
This life Jesus had is but a vapor. And again, like I said before, it's just a, it's, it's, the, it's the primer for eternity. It's a test, if you will. That's why the most important decision, the one most single most important decision in all of your life is turning it over to God, giving it to Jesus, asking Christ to come. He, he's, for every human being that's ever born, he's the missing component. He is the missing ingredient. And he wants us, he wants us to invite him. He wants us to freely ask him to come into our life. He's not going to force himself. He doesn't do that. It has to be our decision where we, we invite him and we receive him uh, into our lives. So we're going to be delivered from this bondage of decay, of corruption, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And again, um, this life is brief. It's short. It's amazing how quickly life goes by. I grew up with my grandmother, so obviously she was in her 60s, and she always used to say to me, and I didn't understand this as a kid. I understand it very well now. But she used to say, Raymond, I don't know where my life has gone. And I'd look at her like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean, Graham? What do you mean? And now I know what it means. And you know, not everybody has a long life. Sometimes life is much shorter, much briefer. That's why it's important if you haven't made your decision for the Savior. The Bible says now is the time, the day of salvation. You know, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Whenever God speaks that truth into your life, he's drawing you, drawing you unto himself. Now, he tells us here in verse 22 that the entire creation is groaning. It, it's groaning, but it's groaning basically for deliverance. He says, for we know the whole creation groans and labors with, with birth pangs together until now. And it's if when you look at what's going on in the world today, it's as if the whole creation, the world, and Jesus speaks about that. That it's in, you know, birth pangs. He's about to come. That's basically what it is. And when you look at what's going on in nature, nature basically, you know, look at this crazy weather. Uh, Psalm 46 is interesting because it talks about all these convulsions of nature. And when you look at some of the things that are going on, vo volcanoes, uh, tsunamis, uh, floods, fires, tornadoes, earthquakes. And I love that psalm because all these convulsions are going on. And you know, so it's interesting because life has always got its convulsions and problems and storms and things of that nature that are going to touch our lives. But I love in Psalm 46, verse 10, where he says this, and I have this plaque in my house. I think we have it in over in uh, the cafe there, be still and know that I am God. In the midst of all the craziness that can go on in our lives. And you know, you look at, the, you look at people that have lost their house to floods, fires, mudslides, tornadoes, um, all kinds of crazy things going on. That sometimes God uses these things to reveal himself to us, that we might know, be still and know that I am God. In other words, he's simply saying, you know what? 
You got all this crazy, crazy stuff going on in your life, but you know what? I'm in control. And if God's in control, the best thing that we can do is to put the control of our lives, amen, in his hands, to turn ourselves over to him. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. And I think the other player, the other big player in this is man, humanity. Look at some of the things that we, that we do. I, I, think there's, I think since the beginning of history, there's been something like 200 years where there hasn't been a war. I mean, look at the wars that go on. Look at the domestic violence. I mean, it seems like almost every, in the last couple of years, almost every month, a mass shooting. Somebody freaking out. Somebody going nuts for no reason at all. I mean, when you think about the insanity, the craziness of it, going in and shooting innocent people in the school, our little children. I mean, it seems as old, it seems like, for instance, like the, the abuso is open and demons are just being released. Then look at all the refugees in our world. Look at all the people at our southern border. Look at all the people leaving Venezuela. Isn't it amazing? The richest, con the richest country in the southern hemisphere because of its oil. You got famines. You got hunger. And you know, the, it's grieving when you think about the infanticide. There's no abortion law. You know, you don't have to be a doctor anymore to perform an abortion. It's brutal. It's so incredibly brutal what, what has taken place in our state. We need to pray. That's why a group of our, our guys are going down there. They want to talk to the legislature. A and the insanity of it, too, is you legalize marijuana. Oh, that's just what we need. That's just what we need. Pathetic. It's sad. Verse 23. Not only that, but we... Also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves. Let me ask you, when's the last time you groaned? I was groaning this morning. It was all physical related. Do you know Jesus groaned? Remember in John chapter 11, it says that he groaned actually twice. He groaned deeply within himself. It was when he came to the grave of Lazarus. And remember that scenario, the picture there that, that John paints for us in the gospel that everybody there is weeping and Lazarus has been in the grave for four days and he's already stinking at this particular point. And it's interesting. Jesus comes and he says he's groaning deeply within himself and he knows what he's going to do. He knows what he's going to do. He knows that he's going to say, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus is going to come out of that grave. He knows it. But yet it also says he weeped. He was groaning and he was weeping. And I think that he was probably just groaning because he's, he, is, he sees what sin does. He sees the damage of it, the devastation of it. We groan at death, sickness, tragedy. We groan at our limitations that we have. We groan when we're betrayed. And again, this groaning is simply, it's an expression. 
It's an aspiration for the hope of something better. Ugh. Like, it, like, it, like it, it comes out of your spirit. <laughs> Sometimes you can't, you don't even, you don't, it just, it's as, almost as if it's a, a release. And I think what we're hoping for, we're hoping for relief and comfort and grace. But ultimately, we are hoping for intervention. You ever read some of the Psalms? We, were, we read this Sunday, Saturday yesterday morning in, in uh, I forget what Psalm it was. But the Psalmist kept saying, how long? About four times, four or five times. Has that ever been one of your prayers? Lord, how long? How long is my loved one? going to go on maybe in a certain kind of condition. How long is this trial going to go on in my life? I think there's simply a, a, an expression, an aspiration for, you know, for something better, for, for a hope. And I think, and again, here's the bedrock of it, looking at verse 23, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. See, here's the fulfillment of that. Here's the foundation of that. And it's simply the basis for any and all hope. And that is simply this, the redemption of our body and the full resurrected life. That's the yearning. That's the deep yearning within each and every one of us. Now, it may come out in a certain kind of way. It may come out. It may be misinterpreted. But for the child of God, it's a yearning for a new world. It's a yearning for the redemption of this body and for the full resurrected life. That's why, again, I think it's very important that we don't get tricked and deceived in just living for this life alone. It won't fulfill you. It won't fulfill you. There's a certain emptiness, a certain vacuum. Put Christ in there, and the things that we enjoy in life take on meaning, take on purpose. Yes, there is satisfaction, there is fulfillment. But like I think Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 6, 33. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these other things, all this other stuff that people strive for and die for and live for. I'll give you what you need. That, that, that's the paraphrase of Matthew 6, 33. Put me first. I'll take care of you. And you'll be happy. You'll be fulfilled. You'll be blessed. And then our last couple of verses here. He says, for we are saved in this hope. That's why it's important we must stay in this hope. We're saved in this hope. This eternal hope. We need to make sure that we stay there. That we don't trade off eternal hope for something lesser. Because Satan is the great counterfeiter, isn't he? 
He's always offering us something lesser, thinking that, oh, we'll be satisfied. Don't trade off your eternal hope. Your hope in Him for something lesser. For we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen, or in other words, when you have something in your hand, you don't hope for it anymore. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And, you, and I'm sure as we've tracked through this here, Paul has mentioned this eagerly waiting three times. 19, verse 19, verse 23, and verse 25. In other words, the Holy Spirit is, is within our lives, within our hearts. And he is eagerly waiting for that transition that we might be restored, that this world might be restored, that the kingdom would finally come. And I'll tell you what, folks, there's a day coming when we will be, the children of God will be in that kingdom. And we will look back at this as if it was a bad dream. Now, yes, we want, we want to make the best out of life we can. But I think there's a tension there and there's a balance, isn't there? You don't want to live for it. You want to commit yourself to the cause of Christ. You want to live for Him. Because that very yearning that you have, that very longing, that very groaning, it will never be satisfied by anything that this world can offer you. It will only come when that future kingdom comes. And it's hard for us, I know, to even fully process that. I know. I know that. But I know that on that day, we will look back. And on that day, we will have such incredible fulfillment, such incredible blessedness that is hard for us, I think, to even because we've, we're not there. But remember, here's the thing about faith. Remember, it says faith, Abraham, it said he saw the future by faith. And you see, you and I can see because of what God tells us. It's based on what God tells us. It's as if we can almost taste and see the promises that God has for us. That's why it's important. That when we read the Bible, we don't just, we read it in faith. We read it believing. We read it expecting and believing. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is eagerly waiting within our lives for that period of restoration. In closing, yes, I have it here somewhere. <laughs> I'd like to read to you uh, an excerpt from a book I'm presently reading by and Randy Alcorn. And uh, this wasn't a chapter title, but it was sort of a, uh, a subtitle within a chapter. And he says, all creation waits in eager expectation. He says, do you sense creation's restlessness? Do you hear groaning in the cold winter uh, night wind? Do you feel the forest loneliness, the ocean's agitation? Do you hear longing in the cries of the whales? 
Do you see blood and pain in the eyes of wild animals? Or the mixture of pleasure and pain in the eyes of your pets? Despite vestiges of beauty and joy, something on this earth is terribly wrong. Not only God's creature, creatures, but the inanimate objects seem to feel it. But there's also hope, visible in the springtime after a hard winter. And as Martin Luther put it, quote, Our Lord has written the promise of the resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf of springtime. The creation hopes for, even, even anticipates, resurrection. The redemption of our bodies refers to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says that not only we, but the whole creation awaits the earthwide deliverance that will come with our bodily resurrection. Uh, not only mankind in general, but uh, believers in particular are aligned with the rest of creation, which intuitively reaches out to God for deliverance. We know what God intended for mankind and the earth. Therefore, we have an object for our longing. We groan for what creation groans for. That is redemption. God subjected the whole creation to frustration by putting the curse not only on mankind, but also on the earth. Why? Because human beings and the earth are inseparably linked. And as, as we together, and as together, excuse me, as, and as together we fell, together we shall rise. God will transform the fallen human race into a renewed human race and the present earth into a new earth. What does it mean that, that creation waits for the, God's children to be revealed? Our creator, the master artist, will put us on display to a wide-eyed universe. Our revelation will be an unveiling. And we will be seen as, as what, we were, what we are and as what we are intended to be, and that is God's image bearers. We will glorify him by ruling over the physical universe with creativity and camaraderie, showing respect and benevolence for all that we rule. We will, be reveal, we will be revealed at our resurrection when our adoption will be finalized. Our bodies will be redeemed. And we will be fully human with righteous spirits and incorruptible bodies that do not decay. Lord, we thank you. And even though as we read these things, Lord, we haven't quite partaken or tasted of them. We know they're yet future. But the fact is that, Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us a mere taste. Lord, uh, Lord, we long. We long for something so much different, so much better. And Lord, we know that it's a heavenly aspiration. And so I pray that, Father, as we deal with suffering, affliction, problems, trials, help us to remember, Lord, we live in a fallen world, a world that will soon be redeemed, transformed and changed. Lord, help us, we pray, to focus on that better hope. Lord, may our aspirations, our expectations not be placed upon people. May they not be placed on something lesser, something lower. But to realize, Lord, that you're coming very soon. You're going to establish your kingdom. 
And the only thing that we're taking from this earth, Lord, into that new kingdom, that new earth, is other people. So, Lord, give us, give us a love and give us a compassion. Lord, help us, we pray, to truly, in every way, Lord, to represent your great heart and your great love. For, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.